that little tray in the middle there, the communion tray, is for the people up here on the, on the Okay. Well, good morning, Fellowship Higher Crest. Well, we can do better than that. It's almost short weather out there. Good morning, Fellowship Hot Chris. That's what I'm talking about. Man, it's almost my weather again. I'm telling you, I'm almost in there. Well, I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited for a couple of reasons. The first reason is um, I have all this pent-up energy from not being able to be here last week. You know, it was, it was a good weekend away, but I missed being here with y'all guys last week. And then uh, the second reason is, is that um, we're a couple of weeks away from ShareFest, and we're looking at sending out 500 people into our community, and today is the last day to sign up. Go to sharefesttopeka.com if you haven't gone to sign up. Make sure to get your shirts and all that kind of stuff. We want to have that prepared, and we want to prepare this opportunity, and this is going to be a great opportunity um, to love on our neighborhood with no strings attached. And so if you haven't signed up, be a, uh, make sure to get signed up to be a part of that. And then the third reason is next week we celebrate our one-year birthday. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, so make sure that you're here to celebrate with that. After service, we're going to have a celebration. And if you have consistently volunteered in an ongoing ministry role here, we have a special gift for you that is going to be a part of that celebration after service. So make sure to be here and, and invite others to come and celebrate with us next week um, during that time. Now, if this is your first time here, I want to let you know that as I speak today that you will see some page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers will correlate to the page numbers that are in the Bible that are in your seat. And we do that because we want you to see that what we're saying is not just our opinion, but it comes from the Word of God. And so if you don't have a Bible, then please use that one as our gift to you. Take it as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read, please take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible um, or one that's easy to read, take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. If you're here and you need a um, Spanish Bible, we have those available. Just raise your hands. One of our ushers will get um, one of those to you. And so this is the second week in our series of To the Cross. And so last week, if you weren't here for Jeremy's message, I encourage you to go out either through our app or our website, fellowshiphighcrest.com, and catch that message. This message series is preparing us um, for Easter and leading up to that. And so this week, um, we're continuing on in the book of Matthew. Um, This week, last week, and next week, all are from the book of Matthew. And so let's go. Our focal passage for this morning is Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. You'll find that on page 589 of those blue Bibles. And so let's get there because I want to get into it this morning. There in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, you'll find it to say this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child amongst them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. 
But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is God's word. Rodriguez, Jacques, Broadnax. Born April 15, 1994. Is an R&B singer and songwriter from Atlanta, Georgia. In 2014, he signed his first recording contract. In 2016, he had a hit single that hit number 69 on the Billboard charts. And in 2018, he recorded his first album. And that pretty much describes his whole musical career. But in spite of the brevity of his career, the lack of a musical catalog, and acknowledgement from those in his industry of his skill, in December of 2018, Jacquees proclaimed himself as the king of R&B for his generation. What Jacquees lacks in experience and accolades, he definitely makes up for in self-confidence. A combination which has made him more known as an internet punchline than as an artist. You know, from a very young age, most of us are taught things like shoot for the moon, and even if you miss it, you'll land amongst the stars. We've read books and and heard speeches about being great. We witness no shortage of debates over who is the greatest. And we've been made to see um, average as the enemy and told that only the great are remembered. And so, therefore, we have become a culture that has indulged and become uh, known for our rugged individualism that constantly judges and debates on who or what is the greatest. Everyone has a list on everything. There are no shortage of podcasts and books um, that will define greatness for us. And how do we respond? We respond by consuming as much as we can in our urge to become the greatest athlete, parent, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, employee, boss, chef, scrapbooker, deacon, Christian, church, pastor out there. That's how we respond. And in the process of striving for greatness, we take every opportunity offered that may lead to achieving our next goal while running ourselves into the ground. We determine the value of relationships based on what they are helping us to achieve. We spend time steady comparing and judging ourselves against the performance of others and beating ourselves up when we fall short of our or society's standard for greatness. For Jacques, our society in general, and in our focal passes, it seems that a lack of definition on what it means to be great has caused a lot of conflict a lot of confusion, and a lot of competition where there should be cooperation. So how do we measure human worth and greatness? What does it mean to be great? These questions are important because how I view others will determine how I receive them, and how I receive others reveals how I view myself. Matthew was writing to primarily a Jewish audience. And Jews believed the scriptures when the scriptures stated that man was the crown of God's creation. 
And out of all of mankind, Israel was meant to be God's chosen people. And in the Old Testament, to be in the land that was promised to Abraham meant that things were going well and that God was pleased with you and that you had found favor in God's eyes. And if you found yourself under the rule of someone else, that meant that something had gone wrong. And so now we get to the time of Jesus and we find that the nation of Israel is under the rule of Rome, meaning that something had gone wrong. Their hope was that the Messiah would come and rescue them, that he would make things right like the heroes in the Old Testament always did. And then you get to our focal passage and Matthew is writing and telling the people that the Messiah was this ordinary dude that kept predicting his death. Whoa. Imagine what the readers were thinking. Even more, imagine what the disciples were thinking as they were living this out. They had walked away from everything they had ever known in order to follow this ordinary guy in hopes of becoming great when his greatness finally kicked in. But until this point, they had only known the sacrifice part of it. And so they wanted to get clarification on this whole greatness part of the equation before this whole shameful death thing happened. I can identify. We live in a world fighting to be great, and much of what it means to follow Christ is counterculture. The gap between what we see in our culture and our society and what Scripture teaches causes anxiety in the gap. So while I can't affect God's timing, what I hope to do for just a few moments this morning is to use his words to to share about his methods and therefore, hopefully, bring a little peace to the situation. Our first two verses of our focal passage start off by saying this. It said, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. You know what's easy? What's easy is to beat up on Jacques and the disciples in our passage. It is easy to look down on them. It's easy to, to act like they were out in left field and on something else. But let's be real about both situations. The music business and industry has a structure to it. And they rank you based on your perceived greatness. And based upon where you rank, it depends on what you receive from that structure. And to that point, in, in the world that the disciples had lived in, Think about it. They had just heard Jesus talk about the kingdom. And so they asked this question that they asked at the beginning of our passage, right as Jesus finished talking about the kingdom. So what is a kingdom? A kingdom has a structure and hierarchy to it. So if we're being real about both situations, Jacquees sees how those at the top of the music industry are treated as opposed to those at the bottom of the music industry. And the disciples see how those at the top of every kingdom known to man up until that time are treated as to those as opposed to those at the bottom of every kingdom known to man at the time. So why would either of them want to be at the bottom? Let's just be real. And whether it's the music industry or the kingdoms of the world that have been known to that time, they tell us that that the ordinary way that people conceive of greatness is that greatness is something that you fight for, something that you struggle for, something that you win, something that you achieve. 
Just look at what happened uh, in the music industry when Jacquees made his proclamation. There was strife all over the place. And then if you look at our, our passage in another book, in, in the book of Mark, in, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35, where it tells the same story that we read this morning in Matthew 18, but from a different perspective, it said that the disciples had been fighting the whole time over who was the greatest. The achievement of greatness always is accompanied by strife. That's the reason why the disciples were arguing and fighting with one another. And it's not just strife on the outside. And it's not just strife because the ordinary way that the world pursues greatness, which is struggling and winning and achieving, means that you have to climb over and, 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 and go beyond people. It just doesn't create strife on the outside, but it also creates strife on the inside. See, one of the five universal fears that everyone has is the fear of insignificance. It's the fear that everyone has. It's one of the five. We all need to feel and know that who we are and what we do matters. But if we do it the world's way, there will always be strife. We'll never be able to sleep and we'll never be able to admit that we're really tired. If we do it the world's way, we'll always be looking over our shoulders. If we do it the world's way, we'll always be filled with self-doubt and insecurity. Uh, And so when the disciples come to Jesus about getting a ranking in his kingdom, they come to him with a worldly mindset. But Jesus says, my kingdom operates differently. He puts a child in the middle of the conversation, which is strange. And I'll explain why that's strange in just a second. And then he says that the path to greatness starts with believing I'm the least. Why was that strange? In that culture, children were ranked socially lower than slaves. I mean, that whole uh, adage of children are to be seen and not heard, that was in full effect in that culture. Some of y'all heard that growing up. (laughs) I wish we would look at adults while they were talking. Like some of y'all remember that? Get out of my mouth. So, yeah, some of y'all remember that. Think about it. Children have no concept of who's high and who's low, who's important and who's unimportant, who's wealthy and who's not. Children will stoop to do things that adults would never think of doing. And for the most part, uh, for most of us, the thought of humility um, being the pathway to greatness scares us more than uh, the strife that comes with achieving greatness the world's way. And here's why. The reason it scares us more is because often in our culture, humility and humiliation mean the same thing. Even though it's not true, even though they come from the same root word, we think that humiliation and and, and humility mean the same thing. Even though that's not true, humility does not mean uh, humiliation, nor does it mean being a doormat to others or having low self-esteem or curbing your strengths and achievements. It is possible to be humble, iron-willed, successful, and have strong opinions. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status to deplore your resources or your influence for the good of others before yourself. More simply, you could say that the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power 
in service of others. The humble person sees everything they have as a gift. The humble person sees everything they have as a, as a gift from God that he is using to serve him through serving others. So if becoming the least, becoming the lowest is the route to greatness, how in the world do I strip myself of everything I know, everything I've ever been taught in order to lower myself? Well, I do it by becoming a child of God. Check out verses 2 through 4 of our focal passages again. And here's, here's what it says. It says, Jesus called the little child to him and put the child amongst them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, why is becoming a child of God seen as an act of humbling ourselves? Well, one of the reasons we, we, that, that keeps us from being humble is that we misunderstand poverty. Poverty is the extent to which an individual does without resources. So while we use that word, that one word to, do, to define all of the situations in which someone goes without resources, there's actually two different patterns of poverty. The first one you have, you have generational poverty where your family has been in poverty for at least two generations. And then you have situational poverty where where you have a lack of resources due to a catastrophic or certain event. And often individuals in situational poverty have an attitude of pride or the refusal of charity. And often that is the attitude that we take when we approach God. We think that we had this one bad event that we need him to get right. And that, 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 that we need him to fix this one thing and then leave the rest of our lives alone. We refuse to admit that we need a savior. And we think that all we need is a loan and a better budget to climb out of our situation. But that is not the way it works. The scriptures say that we have both a generational and a situational deficit when it comes to God. And we were born with an inherited sin nature and we have committed sin of our own. And because of that, we deserve punishment. And because of that, we deserve to live in spiritual poverty. But God in his goodness and mercy offers all those who accept his son as Lord and Savior freedom from the debt of sin. He offers them life. He offers them a relationship with him based solely on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But here's the danger. It's the same thing we see in both Jacques and in the disciples. Once we get into the kingdom, we can start to look at other people differently. Why is that the case? Well, let me go a little bit further with our previous example. And this will further illustrate the danger in praying a prayer where you think that Jesus is just the answer to a mess up in life. Often individuals in situational poverty though they may suffer catastrophic loss, still have more resources available to them than those who are in generational poverty. And access to those resources allow them to overcome their situation a lot more readily than those that are in generational poverty. Let me explain. See, often we hear about how many hypocrites are in church, and that's why people don't come. And see, the misunderstanding is is that because people follow Christ that they don't sin. And I'm going to tell you personally, that is a misunderstanding. 
All right. So those who don't follow Christ and those who follow Christ both sin. See, but those who follow Christ have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have forgiveness that is bought with the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. And so when we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, we have resources that are not available to those who don't follow him that help us reconnect with God easier and overcome our situation a lot easier than those who are still trapped in their generational sin. See, there's a reason why Dave Ramsey is not easily adaptable for those uh, who are in generational poverty, but works well for those with certain skill sets and just need help budgeting. Therefore, people who overcome a hurricane or a tornado, who overcome large consumer debt, who, who in real rebuild their lives often have trouble understanding what keeps those in generational poverty from overcoming their situations. And that misunderstanding or lack of understanding, uh, uh, it, it causes us to look at them in a certain way. If we misunderstand that, that we are made up of about $10 worth of minerals, let me say that again. If we misunderstand that our bodies are made up about $10 worth of minerals, and yet the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the world, chose us out of all of creation to model him and be his viceroy, to be his representative, to be the thing that resembles him most in all of creation, then we'll forget how small we really are. And that lack of understanding might cause us to see ourselves more than we are. It might cause us to fail to see that every human being, no matter what station of life they find themselves in, no matter what their past looks like, no matter who they voted for, no matter what country they're from, no matter what gender they are, no matter how much money they have in their pockets, no matter whether they homeschool or public school or Christian school, no matter what neighborhood they lived in on the west side or in the great neighborhood of Highland Crest, Topeka. all have value because they bear the image of the very same creator that created us. That is why Jesus says that if you want to know if you're on the path to being great, look at who you receive. Well, John, what does it say that? What is right there in the text? Look at verses five through six. In verses five through six, the, the child in view is not a literal child, but but the disciple who has humbled himself or herself and, and in doing so has become childlike. Jesus was speaking of receiving a humble disciple of his in verse 5. And, and whoever does this in Jesus' name receives the person um, not because he or she is, is great or, or uh, superior or influential or prominent, but just simply because they're a disciple of Jesus. And so when you, when you go to an event or a party or a community function, who are you drawn to? Do you look for the person who's going to uh, help you move up and help you achieve your next goal? Or do you look for those that the world may reject or be isolating? Those who are great move toward the least. The person who welcomes one of Jesus' humble disciples simply for Jesus' sake virtually welcomed Jesus himself. And, and in this context, uh, when Jesus was speaking of welcoming, he's meant welcome into uh, receive into fellowship. Is there a space in the leadership of your church, in your organization, in your clique of friends for the person that may be faithful, that may, may be good character, one of Jesus' followers, but may not be successful in the world's eyes? 
The contrast in verse 6, he's saying it involves not welcoming a disciple, rejecting or ignoring him. Withholding supportive encouragement would cause a disciple to stumble in the sense that it would make him harder to do God's will. And if you are not doing God's will, that is objectively sin. So discouraging the disciple amounts to rejecting the master. When was the last time you paused to encourage someone that attends Fellowship High Crest, somebody in your small group, somebody in your job that you see struggling, but you can see God working in their lives? When is the last time you, you, you stopped to pause and encourage your kid that seems like they always get in trouble, that, that everybody's telling them that they can't do anything right? Are you causing your brother or sister to stumble by failing to affirm how you see God active in their lives? Jesus said, if you carry a criteria for whom you can affirm in Christ, drowning at sea would be better than facing Jesus' condemnation. The lack of affirmation in our mouths shows the absence of humility in our hearts. There is something wrong on us when we can't affirm God's beauty. There's hardly a person in this room that can't see a beautiful sunset and say, look at God. And we should be able to say the same when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at God. To take this further, drowning at sea was a Greek and a Roman form of execution, but not a Jewish one. And the millstone that was in picture when Jesus said this was this big one that, that a donkey would rotate around to help create olive oil. And what Jesus was saying was this would have been a terrible way to drown. And in essence, what Jesus was saying that if you lack the humility to serve and affirm even the most troubled brother or sister in Christ, I'm going to let you be done in by the same system that you're still obviously living by. So here's the question. Who am I avoiding? Who is it that you that you walk by and look the other way, that you look down at the floor, that you avoid eye contact with, that you that you hope that they don't hear about the gathering of friends that you're going to have? Who are you withholding affirmation and praise from? You know, some will say that Jacquees got uh, exactly what he wanted, that he only said that as a publicity stunt to get more attention. Well, maybe he did do it as a publicity stunt, but I, I doubt that the ridicule that he's receiving is what he really wanted. What he feared was being insignificant, and what he needed was the affirmation from those that he did community with. Do you consider yourself a success? By whose standards? The world's or God's? Well, let me give you a clue. If it's by God's, then you'll know both peace and rest. And if it's by the worlds, you'll never find either of those. How do you come be successful in God's kingdom? The way down is always the way up. It is through humility. Think about the most loved, influential people the world has ever known. Gandhi, MLK, Mother Teresa. What do they all have in and coming. They were stand, they were servants. The greatest example came from a carpenter from Nazareth. 
He had no ambitions for the thrones of this world. His only ambition was to do the will of the Father. You can follow in his footsteps, and the first step in that process is what we call stepping across the line of faith. We step across the line of faith when we realize that we all do have prejudice, that we don't treat and value everyone the same. And because of that, we deserve to be separated from the Father. But you have to be willing to admit that. You got to be able to admit that you don't always get it right, that you don't have the strength to see everybody the same. But out of grace and mercy, the Father sent his Son to pay the cost for our lack of humanity and to provide a way back to a relationship that we damaged. We damaged. The possibility of reconciliation with the creator of the universe has nothing to do with what we've earned, but it's solely based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you believe that, then you cross over from death to life, from orphan to a child of God, from poverty to royalty. If you've never made that commitment, then I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. I'm going to pray in just a second, and I invite you to pray with me. No special words or order of words, just a prayer of thanksgiving. The way down is always the way up. Who are you avoiding? Who you receive displays how you view yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as you sent your son, that he didn't look to form relationships with those who would only help him achieve his purpose, but that he was willing to draw close to the least of these, to those who fell short, those who disobeyed. And beyond this forming relationships, when he was willing to sacrifice, he was willing to, to give up his spot and glory to come down, to live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we couldn't die in order to pay a cost that we couldn't pay so we could have a relationship with you. Father, it's so easy for us who, who proclaim your son as our Lord and Savior to forget that. To forget that he lifted us, that we didn't lift ourselves, that we were incapable of it. And therefore, we have status and rank and and criteria on those who we receive. Father, forgive us. Cleanse our heart of prejudice. Cleanse our hearts of superiority. Father, show us that the way up is the way down. Let us see that achieving greatness, fighting for greatness, is not your way. Your word says that there's going to come a day when the same man who laid down his life will crack the sky. And every knee shall bow, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So, Father, let the pursuit of our hearts, the words of our mouths, and the actions of our hands and feet resemble him who we claim to follow. Him who is Lord. Him who is Savior. He who spoke this world into being. Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my weak voice who is still struggling. And they're filled with insecurities and self-doubt. They're afraid of being found at the bottom. They're afraid of being insignificant. Of no one caring about who they are or what they do. They're afraid of not mattering at all. They're wondering, Father, if they have a spot in this world. I pray they would see that there is a way out and it's through your son, Jesus Christ. That in him they will find forgiveness. In him they will find significance. In him they will find the dignity their hearts always hope for. And they will see that they've already been made great. Through his act alone. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.